Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, man. How's it going? Doing very well. How are you, Randy? I'm doing fabulous. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation today with Jeff Felberbaum. But before we go, I uh, always want to remind folks to please give us feedback on our Facebook page or on the website, frisbeeguru.com. And of course, if you want to hear more, from us or get updates, sign up for our newsletter, which is in the top right-hand corner of frisbeeguru.com. So with that, Jake, I know you had some some more questions for Jeff. Yeah, so he mentioned the, the Craze Distance Project, which I had I'd heard someone else mention it, but I had never heard any details about it. So he brought it up again, so I just I had to know more. So that's the second time I've heard someone mention Craze Frisbee Dance Project, but I've never heard mm-hmm. of it before. So was it really? just a traveling show or what was it? Well, we, you know, the object was to, to create a, a show and to create a kind of a, not just one show, but a, an ability to bring Frisbee into a performing, into a performing context, to develop it for all kinds of different venues that were outside of the sport uh, a venue and outs right. So that it was, it was for, you know, it's purely, it was, we, we got into this work. We did this, uh, uh, a trailer for a video, for a, uh, for a movie that was, uh, produced by Harry Belfonte called Beat Street. So it was a breakdancing video. And so we were in the trailer with all these different breakdance performers doing, doing pieces of our routine that we had developed at the time. And it was, it was kind of like a, it was a Frisbee dance routine. We called it disc dance, right? But we also performed uh, at a jugglers convention. We performed at dance concerts with a small dance troupe, uh, kind of a gymnastic dance troupe that a friend of ours that had put together in New York. And also at this very small dance concert I met, that I remember training for. We were then also part of this uh, troupe of break dancers and, kind of, and there was this one guy, it was really cool. His name was uh, Slow Motion. And he would do like slow motion uh, roller skating. Um, so we were part of this troupe that was of mostly break dancers that were doing, you know, we did some, some kind of nightclub-y kinds of things and bar mitzvahs. And <laughs> we did this one bar mitzvah <laughs> where, where Cray and I were doing this. We did this putting on the Ritz thing with, with dancers and tuxedos and hats and canes and it was a trip, man. We worked with a, a jazz dance choreographer who helped us do our helped us put together one of our routines, where every beat of the um, of the song that we performed to had a corresponding movement with or without the disc. So while Cray was doing a combination with a disc, I was doing a com- a dance combination that was mir- that mirrored his frisbee combination on the other side of the stage. And we were constantly moving and dancing and it was amazing. It did was any amazing. of this, did any of this ever get caught on video? Is there yeah. any record yeah. of it? Yeah. 
yeah, we've got Cray's got it. I used to have copies of it, but but um, I don't have those anymore. Uh, but Cray's got this stuff. Yeah, he's got the stuff. And also, you know, I don't think that Zen and the Art. I don't know if Zen and the Art of Freestyle Frisbee ever made it onto DVD. I mean, I, I don't know if it was ever transferred onto DVD. But you know, he and Pat Rabdow have that stuff, and that stuff is that stuff is. You know, it doesn't have Cray and I doing our thing, but it has uh, he and it has Cray and, and and Pat doing some really nice performance stuff that they were working on, uh, which was different than what Cray and I did. Yeah, that stuff should be that stuff should definitely be uh, treasured. I really like that direction of the performance. Uh, not that the technicals shouldn't have a place to live, but I really think the performance getting the audience engaged with what you're doing instead of vice versa oh oh yeah 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 the, the secret really is i mean really the secret is to make it be about the make it be about the audience not about you you could do that with nothing you could do that if you got no skills if you have one skill you could do it two skills you could do it we we as uh freestylers and uh, you're not going to hear me um uh, include myself in that in that bunch very much, but I'll I will write. Well, maybe you will in the future. I don't know. But for the last year, I've I've been really using different language to describe my participation um, with this activity a lot. And but but we as freestylers have vastly more than we need to do very very good things uh, for the sport, for others, for the world, and for just for human expression, freestyle puts the kind of fun stuff, the trick stuff, the interesting stuff, the, you know, the skill stuff that is of performance quality. Uh, it puts it in a box that then really, um, you know, the box uh, reproduces itself because everybody is doing it in the same context. And, and preparing to do it in the same context. So after a while, it all starts looking the same, even though it's always, obviously, a little different. Uh, Jake and I have been having this discussion about, you know, there's the difference between performing and competing. And competing really does kind of put it into that box. Sure. So it's like either you're going to perform or you compete. And so there's that. How do you, how do you combine those two? You know those well, conversations we've been having, Jake, about that? It's kind of fitting into this whole idea here yeah, yeah totally can imagine so i know that you and john dwork had quite the partnership uh mm -hmm. early on and can you talk a little bit about that partnership with john and what that <laughs> journey was like <laughs> when you ask me questions and i start laughing <laughs> it's rather telling isn't it <laughs> it's telling for me it's like it's it's just you know where my mind goes when you when you bring up these subjects is, is just, uh, um, it's pretty funny for me. You know, we did a lot of demos, uh, you know, not relatively speaking. We, we didn't do as many as we would have liked, but we did a lot more than I ever did with anybody else. And John was, John had a lot of contacts and um, we, um, and I was very willing and we got really lucky one summer, uh, which is that we, we because we, we connected with um, someone that had us working several times a week in New York City all summer long, prepared, which 
helped us prepare for tournaments. Because all we did was our, well, we did a big show, but, but we, a very co- combined variety show, but we always practiced our routine. So, and we practiced performing in front of people. And so it was great, great practice. The first thought that popped into my head was how my aunt and uncle in California, Lenny and Herman Carr, who were gracious enough to host us at their house in Santa Ana for our John and I first trip to California in 1978 or the, the, the winter of 77 into the spring of winter, spring of 78. They hosted us. They were supposed to host us for like a month or something. And we were going to train and get ready for Santa Barbara and Santa Cruz and all this stuff. And after about a week, um, my uncle Herman comes up to me and he's like, Jeff, Jeff, here, here, take this money. You guys, you got go get it, go to Venice and get a hotel room. All right, go down there and have, I'm like, uncle Herman, I can't take this money from you. He's like, take, take the money, take the money. I'm like, well, what? What, what's the matter? What? Why do I? What's going on? He says, that, that "John, he's driving us crazy. You got to take the money. Take the money. And get out of here. Go to Venice. We can't take it anymore." Goodness! Wow. So, so my aunt and uncle kick us out because because they said that John was driving them crazy, and you know John was a bit of a nudge. <laughs> so 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 anyway, so we go to Venice. We take the bus to Venice. And, we get off the bus, and I just, um, with my youthful exuberance, I'm 17 years old, and I just run across the street. And this motorcycle cop pulls up and goes, I can tell by the way you cross that street that you're not from around here. And he proceeded to write me, I don't know, $75, $150, $200 ticket for jaywalking. It was like, Toto, you're not in New York City anymore so many stories and and i told this story to somebody else too john was an amazing amazing player and one of the things that stands out the most for me is in 1978 when he 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 dropped he it's not like he choked he didn't choke john dwork never choked he just didn't hit he just didn't have like his best day in the bowl that day um, and he dropped like whatever, I don't know, his fall catch, which was just extraordinary. Have you guys ever seen it? Yes. Donnie Rose is the only other person that I ever saw do the fall. And I tried to do it once in Rochester with Donnie and Joey or something, and I ended up hurting my back. It still hurt today. I lay on the field out there for hours after falling, trying to do that goddamn throw catch. Oh, my God. And I, again, I ruined my back doing that. And John actually hurt his back doing it, too. But that catch, he didn't catch it that day. And, oh, it hurt. But, but in 1978, my, my dream as a teenager, really I only had two things, in the, three things, <laughs> three things in the world that I wanted. I wanted a girlfriend. <laughs> and I wanted to get my black belt. And I wanted to get to the Rose Bowl. I never in a million, zillion, trillion years thought I would ever win the freestyle at the Rose Bowl, but I wanted to get to the Rose Bowl. That was all, that was, that was it for me. You know, John and I got to the Rose Bowl and in 1978, and that was just amazing. And, you know, my girlfriend joined us out there. I had my first love. <laughs> and, um, and, um, and the following year I got my, my black belt and 
just to make it there. And then to, that, that was just astonishing, right? Whatever we did. And then we're in the, the semis and we, we win our semi pool. I mean, we, we, we might have known we were going to do well, but because we had been winning everything that year. We're like, oh my God. First it was, oh my God, we're in the Rose Bowl. Then, oh my God, we're in the finals. We made it to the finals. This was too big for us, though. I think this was too big for us. We were like, huh, let's win it, right? Like, but we, we didn't really believe it, right? We, this is too big for us. We can't do this. We knew. I think in, inside myself, I knew that we couldn't, or that it was just too big. It was like, no way, no way. What, 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 was, what am I thinking, right? But we got really good at this, at this winning thing because we, we won and won and won and won and won. And a lot of it was based on, you know, John, John was incredibly, incredibly creative and inventive and quirky. And, you know, he convinced me to get into, to learn how to, to twirl or padiddle, depends what you want to call it. But John called it twirling. Padiddling was, you know, it was a diminutive or it was a derogatory kind of derogatory term. It wasn't nice. And, you know, John's twirling was a high art. It was, he took it to a high, high, very high level anyway. You know, you could throw him a disc and he would delay it with his fingertip, basically. And he was able to get a, so much control um, doing what he did. And then we would build these ridiculous, crazy body, he would call it body sculpture. And we would do these these moves that where we you know create a sculpture and then pass it to the other one and then pass it to the other one and then set up a, a catch a double catch or something and you know it look, people were like what the bleep are these guys doing but they didn't know but it looked cool and it was it it was different and it helped us to win. So uh, as an aside, I have an appointment with John sometime this summer. Oh, uh, to film him doing some of his unique padiddling tricks. So no. uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, he contacted me on Seriously? Facebook about two weeks ago and said, oh, I'm going to be in Portland and I'd like to do that. Oh, yeah. That's great. Wow. Oh, it's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, you, you're in for a treat. Um, Don't call it padiddling, though. Well, that's what we all call it now. <laughs> really? <laughs> it doesn't sound diminutive these days now. It's just uh, no. funny how things change. Um, so I have a question for you about the 1980 Rose Bowl and your partnerships with Cray and, and Evan. <laughs> so obviously we've been talking a lot about Cray and he's amazing, a huge influence on you. Other people have mentioned Evan David as well as one of the amazing <laughs> players from back in the day. But uh, I just wanted to ask you, uh, how did you guys decide to hook up as a team that year? What did you, what did you come away with from that partnership? How did it impact <sighs> you? My goodness. They had been doing a bunch of stuff together prior to my asking them, I think, if I could play with them. And for me, it was uh, this choice to try and do something for the love of it and for the art of it. Because they were the most, the two most, most artistic players that that I knew and the ones that I I admired the most that were around. I mean, I admired lots of people for lots of different reasons. Really, uh, you know, I I had an extremely difficult time in my relationship with Donnie, and uh, you know, 
I, I just it was the kind it was the kind of situation. I'm sure he would tell you differently, uh, but it was a situation where many many people in my life as I was growing up were very good friends of mine to me, but I did not really know how to be a friend to anybody else, and um, I was very self centered and and uh, just selfish and all these all these ways that really made me miserable and I always thought it, I always thought it was everybody else doing it to me and and so uh, I had a very hard time with with uh, this partnership with Donnie and and um, even though we were successful and and I for me it was like I don't care about winning let me try to do something that makes me feel good because I could not feel good I didn't feel good doing what we were doing except uh, you know sometimes we would perform and we did it felt really good because we we did some really good work together uh, so the situation is in 1980 you and donnie play together a lot you're pretty much partners we did. is that right okay yeah. oh yes yeah. oh yeah so then at some point you decide you would rather play with cray and evan well towards the end of the season right okay. near the near the rose bowl uh i you know i, ba I basically I, I left donnie flat is what i did i bailed on him at some point i was like you know what i'm not playing with you it's you know this is a hard hard moment for me to to just to be looking at this because it was it was one of the things that I did that I really I'm not proud of at all and and for Donnie to play with me in those days really he was doing me a favor because I you know he really had it his technical genius and artistic genius was exactly what I needed to be on the other side of the field for me, to, for me to be able to to shine, right? Because I didn't have any of the stuff that he had. So we, we were well matched, but uh, I could not have a relationship really with anybody. I was not capable of having a real relationship, adult relationship with anybody, uh, least of all one where you really had to work hard. And Donnie really was a very tough taskmaster and I was a lazy guy. I mean, I worked hard, but don't get, don't try to get me to work on something that I don't want to work on. In in other words, improving my game, really at its core. I did not want to work on the fundamentals, and that's why you know those guys were so much better than me. Um, it's, but it's interesting because when we talked to Donnie, he he said a lot of nice things about you, and one of the things that he he said is that you you were the driver behind finding all the demos and the shows and what what some of the things that he enjoyed most about that era was going and performing for people and that you were the one that led the charge for that. I'm, you know, I'm not surprised that he has nice things to say about me because yeah. that's the kind of guy, that's the kind of guy he is. And, and I have nothing but good things to say about him. I, but you know, about me, I, you know, anyway, so I wasn't very nice to Donnie back then. And anyway, so I, I really admired what Cray and Evan were doing and always just really, I mean, Evan, if I had to ever pick a favorite uh, players, although it's very hard from back then, the people that I liked the most were the Coloradicals and, uh, the, in terms of performance team, the Coloradicals and um, Corey and Evan. And I kind of wanted, I was like Corey, a Corey Basso wannabe. And, and he and Evan were just, you know, they were my idols. They, they were just so beautiful they were it was it was dance it was it was art and i that's you know that's i loved that i wanted that i wanted to be that there was an evan david move that i um i tried to learn how to do for 
the whole time I played and I never able to do it. And, and, um, it's, it's a beautiful move. I, I think it's called, I, we called it, um, Donnie and I named it, renamed it something else. I don't know what Evan called it, but it's just such a beautiful thing. It's a, is it that spinning a, um, Arvond? That spinning yeah, Arvond? Yeah, it's Arvond. We call it Arvond, but we call it, yeah, it's, it's Arvond. Um, but Evan didn't call it Arvond. Donnie and I named it Arvond, or, or Donnie named it Arvond. But I could never do that, and I tried for years and years and years to do that. And I really loved Corey's, um, everything about his game, but how, how high he could jump and... Um, how hard he hit the thing and just his, his, his arms whacking it from underneath. And, but anyway, I, I don't really remember much about our routine, Cray, Evan, and, and, and uh, myself, except that we, we really were, we did very well in the prelims and the semis. And it was exciting and it was very fulfilling and it was horrible. What happened in, this, in, the, in the finals was just horrible. It was just terrible. I think I, I may have bashed myself in the face with my knee in my nose in the, in the, out there and got a bloody nose. I don't remember. But it was sure terrible. God. We were all running around. You know, I threw, the, I threw it so hard and far. I tried to throw it with a lot of spin, and, it, like, the wind took it. It was, like, 40 feet over Cray's head, and he went running down the field looking. <laughs> it was a three-ring oh. circus, man. It was, it, oh, was no. a fool's, it was terrible. It was a fiasco, total fiasco. Wow. Well, as you can hear, even the Hall of Famers can go through Frisbee hell. Isn't that right, Randy? Yeah. yeah, so true. You know, Frisbee hell can happen at any time to anyone. And uh, you just got to let the Frisbee gods do what they do. Yep, I've definitely been there. Uh, well, yeah. before we sign off, just want to remind folks to uh, go check our website and uh, subscribe to the newsletter. Just put your email address in the upper right. And uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please donate to help keep the lights on. Hey, Jake, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check out our website at frisbee.